business, leadership, high performance, the journey. Welcome back to the Patrick Metzger Show, everybody. And my guest today has a tremendous story, to say the least. Um, He's not just an author and visionary, but is extremely well known for his work around the power of listening, uh, which honestly, I think many of us really struggle with um, in the chaotic world that we live in today. But years ago, uh, he walked away from an opportunity to run a billion dollar business to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace and ended up studying in a seminary for five years, left one day before becoming a rabbi and has also lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. So a lot of things off that bucket list right there. Uh, as director of business development, he also grew Hay House from $3 million a year in sales to over $100 million a year in revenue. And if you're not familiar with who Hay House is, uh, they're the largest publisher of self-help, inspirational, and transformational books and products. Uh, include material from Wayne, uh, Wayne Dyer, Jim Quick, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, some of the best of the best. Uh, but really, he's a rare blend of businessman and mystic who sees what others do not see. And I'm excited for him to share more around that today. And where it's placed him ultimately is in some of the most exclusive boardrooms to really help companies innovate new ways of finding solutions when the old ways stop working. But he's the author of The Mosaic, which he's going to talk more about today, which is a life-changing fable that invites people to listen to those others who... Uh, those others do not hear and really see the situations in their life differently for what they truly are. But you guys are in for a real treat today as we have Daniel Levin on the show to talk about the power and importance of listening. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Patrick, thank you so much. You know, when I hear people read my bio, I still sometimes shudder in disbelief (laughs) because I can't believe that a 15-year-old kid would have the power to walk away from the opportunity to run a multi-billion dollar corporation. It was hand fed to me. It was going to be given to me. The man who founded it was uh, my, turned out to be my uncle. And after my parents passed away, we moved in with my aunt and uncle. And, and here was this beautiful opportunity that I was given. And, as he said, I'll wait to tell the whole story, but it's just one of so many things in my life that I look at and when I, we don't realize what we've done until it's read back to us. Mm-hmm. And when I hear it read back to me, I go, oh my God, who is that guy? You know, was that me? Is that really what I did? Is that really what happened? Like, oh, like why? Like why would, I, I want to know about that. So I love that we're going to go into it because every conversation I have, Every time a question is asked, I hear something different, and I get more insight as to what the story really unfolds as. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Oh, oh, I, I am excited because I'm a big believer, Daniel, in the best story one can ever read is their own, and I don't think many people yeah. read their own story. So, But I, was, I, I can say this. I was super excited to have you on here today because I'm a big believer in listening and connection and really driving real true deep emotional connection with people and really and really finding the good in others which you know to be honest i used to really suck at that you know um Mm -hmm. one of one of my friends puts it really really well she said you know you can either dig for dirt or you can dig for gold in other people and uh, that that one really hit home with me once upon a time and 
I want you to start with, because it really sets a tone kind of for everything we're going to discuss today and kind of lays the whole framework of it, but um, your book, The Mosaic, um, like I said earlier, a life-changing fable, really focusing in on listening to other, listening to those that others don't hear, and maybe those people that really don't have a voice, um, if you want to look at it as that way. So explain, explain to the audience, um, take us into the mosaic a little bit. Thank you so much. What I, I so appreciate your kindness and allowing me to talk about it. I've gotten older in years, as we all do, as we time passes. And I look back on my life, and so many people had the response to my life that even in the short time we've known each other, you've started out by saying that it's not the standard life. And so I thought, I want to write something about it. And Originally, I had written something quite different, and I sent it to a friend of mine who was my muse. And she said to me, Danny, this is a great book, but it's not your book. And I said, what do you mean? Do you think it was plagiarized? She said, no, no, no. This is a self-help. You've written a self-help book, and you're, and you're not really a self-help person. You don't believe in changing people, fixing people, helping people, uh, teaching people. You're a storyteller. Why don't you tell a story? And I like to think of myself as being this big, burly sort of guy, you know, a guy guy. And I said, and I, and I looked at her and I said, oh, so what do you want me to do, write a fable? And she said, exactly. And I fought her for about a minute and a half until I realized in the telling of a story, what happens is there is no teaching in a story. We just tell a story and people listen to the story and somewhere between the time it leaves the mouth of the speaker and, the, and it enters into the ear of the listener, the story becomes a different story. It becomes their story. Mm-hmm. Because even though it, it sounds like it starts out as mine, it really changes into yours as you read it. And that's what the mosaic is. It's, 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 beautiful. it's a beautiful story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And he asks the adults where his parents are. And the adults tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out right that day to find the place called heaven. But the people he meets are not the ones you would expect. They're the common ordinary people, the homeless guy, the street worker, the um, blind woman, and the homeless man. And he wonders, why am I sitting with these people? And a voice says to him, you don't have anywhere to be. You're traveling, you're walking to find this place called heaven. Just sit with them and listen to them tell you their story. Patrick, in every single case, when he sat with people and listened to them speak, he realized the person that he initially saw wasn't at all who they were. And I'd be happy to tell you a story down the line as we go into it of one of those occurrences or many of them. But in in seeing that nobody was like what he thought they were, once he's heard their stories, nobody was who he saw them to be. He wondered, do I see anything in life the way it is? Or do I see everything the way I am? And in that moment, he looked over to his right and he saw a monk unzipping the sky. And the monk invited him to come through the sky into a parallel reality where he met the wise one who was the keeper of the mosaic. Well, the mosaic was the totality of all the pieces of this world. And he was arranging all of the pieces. But what was interesting 
is he was arranging the pieces of Mo also. Because we're made up of, of all the pieces, all the things that we are, all the things that we've done, all the things that we can't stand about ourselves, all the things that we love about ourselves, all the things we're scared of, and all the things we, we marvel at. They all make us up. And if any of those pieces are missing from the totality of our mosaic, our mosaic isn't complete. And when you take the totality of who we are, and you bring the presence of who you are into the world that you live in, then you become part of a bigger mosaic because every piece is made up in the same way. And so what I found is wherever I go now, whether it's conferences that I speak at, boardrooms that I walk into to, to um, listen to people or talk and speak with people, hospitals, prisons, families, when I bring my presence and I bring the totality of all of my pieces, I'm able to hold a space for people to feel loved and accepted, listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated, because I'm not shunning away from any of those pieces in my own life. And when people feel loved and accepted and listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated, they start to feel invincible. And they feel like the walls that they have around themselves for that moment, they don't need anymore. And when they drop those walls down, all that remains is who they are. And that's when we can have real connection with people. When who you are and who I am get a chance to see each other. And if you think about a mosaic, a mosaic, None of the pieces teach each other what to do or help each other or try and change each other or fix each other. They're whole pieces and broken pieces, big pieces and small pieces. But all those pieces do is they hold each other. They just hold each other. And in the holding of each other, they create an artistry that is so magnificent and so much more beautiful than any of each, any of any single piece that it's hard to even imagine that we would want to try and go at this alone. So whether that be a family that you're building, whether that be a company that you're creating, whether that be a community that you're building, a country that you're, that you're involved in, in transforming, whether it be a political party or a prison or a prison, whether it be a, a medical institution or a school of learning, what would happen if we embraced each other and held each other and loved and accepted each other and listened to each other and acknowledged and validated each other. And we became a mosaic of all of us together in that moment. Wow. That's, that's all I can say right now, Daniel is wow. <laughs> like that, that is, that is, that's the deepest thing I've ever had anybody dive into on this podcast. in such a wow. awesome, unique way of how you put it as well. Yeah. Everybody needs simple, to listen right? to the last five or six minutes of what you just went through multiple, multiple times to embrace that concept of all the pieces and the ownership of, of who you are and what everything is and not looking, not looking for specifics in yourself or the world around you, you know, of just of looking so much more deeply beyond all of it, I think. Yeah, it, sometimes we feel in order to become something new, we have to let go of something old. Mm -hmm. But how about if we didn't? 
Mm-hmm. How about if we just needed to embrace everything that we've been and and, and invite everything that wants to come to us and, and create the totality of who we are together? Yep. Because everything we are is so important to making up who we are right now. Oh, absolutely. I, and, and, you know, people, I think a lot of people, Daniel, struggle with, they think all those pieces of themselves, they think, you know, they, they see it as some are, negative or toxic or bad you know the, some of those things that have that are part of their past and they fight them they fight them over and over and over and over every single day of their life but yeah what if what if we just own those things for what they were embrace the fact that it's part of us it's part of who we are who we've now become and wow oh i love i love the concept of this I, I thank you so much. So, Patrick, if we do that with ourselves, how in the world would it be possible for us to love and accept another human being, especially people that think outside of the silo of our own like-mindedness? Mm-hmm. If we can't even do it in our own beings. So one of the beautiful things that Mosaic has, has shown me, has, has, has opened up for me, is this idea that we can love for no reason. That what instead of rejecting the things in us that we feel are bad or ugly or not good enough or not good, what if we were just to listen to them? Mm-hmm. Can I share a story with you? Absolutely. I've had the opportunity to live amongst and be friends with some of the richest people in the world. We sat at dining room tables together. And they've been kind enough to give me their counsel and ask my counsel. And I've been lucky enough to sit also on street corners with the poorest of the poor. And they've been kind enough to give me their counsel and to ask my counsel as well. And what I found is that we're all so much the same. That we all want so much to be loved and accepted and listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated. Well, amongst those thousands, maybe even millions of people that I've sat and talked to over the course of my life, I've met a lot of really influential people that that have really changed me. But the woman that changed my life the most out of all those people is a 31-year-old woman that I've known since the day she was born that I've never been able to have a conversation with. Not because neither one of us didn't want to, but because she wasn't able to speak in a way that people could understand her. That 31-year-old woman is the greatest gift I've ever been given. She's my developmentally delayed daughter. And so along the time that I've known her, at first we were able to somehow figure out when she was young what she needed. I don't know how we did, but she would make it known to me. But over the course of time where she would speak and she wasn't heard, it started to have an effect on her. So when she spoke and she didn't get listened to, she would yell, thinking that we just didn't hear her. But it wasn't the volume of what she was saying that affected our inability to understand. It was the way she pronounced her words. We just couldn't understand her words. Mm-hmm. Well, when she started to yell and we didn't understand her, then what she would do is she would tantrum. 
And it didn't matter if we were in the middle of a store, at a business meeting, walking along the beach, at friends' homes, at a restaurant. When it happened, it happened. And when we didn't listen, when she tantrumed, she would attack. She would come running at me and try and bite me or pull or rip my shirt or do something. Patrick, this went on for a long time. And you can tell I'm, I'm sort of a person that tries to bring peace into the world. But I could bring no peace into this world in this time. It went on for about 15 years. And sometimes it happened as much as three or four times a day. Until one day when she was running at me in the midst of her rage, I looked at her, I caught her eye, and I said, Elisa, you know I love you more than anything in this world. I would do anything to be able to understand you now. I just don't understand your words. Will you try and tell me what you want to tell me without using words? She stopped dead in her tracks. The look of rage on her face became a smile that was so deep that literally pierced my soul. And from that place of smile, she looked at me and she said in perfect English, I am daddy. And I looked at her and I said, what the heck are you talking about? How are you even doing that? And she took her index finger and put it to the side of her head. And what I understood from her movement was she was telepathically putting thoughts into my head because her mouth didn't speak, but her mind worked. And she was trying to communicate to me in a way that I would be able to hear her without the jumbleness of her mouth. But I didn't even know that she was capable of thinking those thoughts because when she couldn't speak them, I didn't know how much she could think them. And here's the thing, I had heard her doing it, but I just didn't trust it. So I looked at her, I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head all this time? And she looked at me and she said, yes, daddy, yes. And we broke into a contagious laughter that went on for about 20 minutes. 20 minutes is a long time to laugh with another person. Even a few minutes makes you feel totally different. 20 minutes was like a party. <laughs> at the end of that 20 minutes of laughing, she's never yelled, tantrumed, or attacked again. Patrick, if the story ended there, I would have been, I would have marveled because now I have a way of figuring out many more times what my daughter's saying to me because I can listen in my, and I don't get it all the time, but I get it more times. But I started to look at the companies that I was working with, at the corporations, at the government places I was working. We were working with the government of Jamaica at that time. And I took her, her model into the government of Jamaica, into the corporations we were work, working in, into the boardrooms that I was going at, into the lack of trust of schools and hospitals and prisons and businesses and families. And I started to see the same thing was happening everywhere. When people speak and they didn't get heard, they yelled. When they yelled and they didn't get heard, they created chaos. They created havoc. They tried to disrupt what was going on. And when their disruption didn't work, they tried to attack. They tried to tear down a company, a man's reputation or a woman's reputation. They tried to, to, to physically harm somebody. They stood on, on, in windows and shot people in a, in a square. They blew up buildings. They did whatever they had to do. And I thought, how remarkable that a 31-year-old woman that's never said a word in her life might be giving us the vehicle how we learn to listen to each other. Listening to each other is the most important thing we can do. For God's sake, it's written all over our face. 
When we look at the makeup of our face, we see two ears and one mouth. But we live in a world where it seems like people have a thousand mouths and no ears. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Huh. Wow. So, man, so backing up, where did all this begin? Because I think, um, obviously, I mean, this is deep. This is really deep, Daniel, as far as just the connection with people and um, listening to each other. Because I, I think that's something that is absolutely, completely lost in this world right now. You know, you look at the state of chaos with everything going on in the world now with politics and such, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely a lost art. And, and I think people are, man, how do I even put it? People are losing each other. They're losing themselves. They are lacking the emotional connection that they need from others because of that lack of listening. Yeah. So I I live in black and white statements all my life. And so I want to be careful that I'm not giving a black and white picture of the reality that I'm dating. Because surely there are a lot of people that are that are listening to us and, and have incredible skills of listening and are and are able to to promote listening like I am. But. I think what you're really hinting at is that so many of us don't. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and why? why? Like, why does that happen? I can only tell you from my own experience. My own experience, even amongst my own reality, is that I go about trying to do something. And almost the minute I decide I want to do something, there's a part of me that is a saboteur in my being. And it wants to take me down. And, and it tells me I'm not good enough or you can't do that or how are you going to be able to do it? Who are you to you or you to think you can do what other people couldn't do? But we were brought here on earth to do something that nobody else could do because if somebody else had done it, there would be no reason for us to be created. We don't need to have carbon copies of each other walking around the world. Mm-hmm. We're here for a very specific purpose. So when people say, who are you to think you can do what someone, what anybody, no one else can do, that's exactly who I am. I'm the person that was brought yeah. here to do what's my thing to do, yeah. right? But because we don't even trust ourselves, just like I didn't even trust the voice of my daughter coming into my head, what we end up doing is we, we end up hitting ourselves. And if you could see me, imagine my right hand punch trying to, hitting me in my own face. And imagine me doing it all over my body, top of the body to bottom of the body. I just, I, 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 virtually attack myself. I physically attack myself almost every moment. As soon as I say, I'm going to do something, a little voice in me says, no, you're not. And I try and pull myself down. Well, after a certain amount of hitting myself in the face, guess what? That hurts. I'm going to build a little wall around my face, but it's not only my face that I'm hitting myself at. I'm hitting myself in my stomach and my groins and my legs and my knees. And so I build a little cylinder around myself. It protects me from my own assault. And I walk around in that cylinder because I'm scared that you'll hurt me too and other people will hurt me. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to look silly, I start to paint the facade on the outside of my cylinder of who I want, who I believe you want me to be. Oh, isn't that the truth? And so I'm walking. 
And so I'm walking around in this facade of who I am, trying to interact and have connection with you. But most of the time, you've done the same thing I've done. And so really our connections are my wall meets your wall. And we wonder why we don't have real connection. We wonder why we're not feeling intimacy. We're wondering what's going on. So what I realized is that for my own self, if I could pause for a few moments and just say, I'm not going to hit myself now. I'm going to try and be kind to myself. What would happen if I, if I practiced kindness instead of sabotage? What would happen if every time I see myself hitting myself, I say, that's okay. I, I, I want to love myself. I want to be kind to myself. I want to treat myself with respect. But pretty soon I'd realize I don't need the walls that I put up to protect myself from myself because I'm not hitting myself. And suddenly my world opens from a two millimeter cylinder that was all around me to an exponentially beautiful world that's, that's like so big and so broad. And I might wander along the street and then see you and think, oh, my God, I'm scared. What's, the, what's he going to do to me or what, what's going to happen? And I might put up a wall between you and me. But I already know the answer to my question. My question is, if I come up to you and say, Patrick, if I promise you I would never hurt you, never intentionally hurt you, I might say something stupid that hurts you, but it would never be intentional. Would you feel comfortable with us taking one brick at a time down from the wall that separates you from me mm-hmm. so that we can try and experience who you are and who I am? Well, imagine taking the care in your company to have that kind of conversation. It's almost unheard of. Who, who is doing that? If your company is doing that, please write to me. Mm-hmm. Please contact me because I want to talk about you on every talk that I give. Yeah, that and there are companies doing it. Yeah, but that, I want to know you. Uh, whoop! I was just going to say, Daniel, that that level, that unheard level of vulnerability-based trust, that so few people are really able to genuinely hit the mark on. You know. Yeah. So, in order to really make connection, what Mosaic told me in the spaces between the words. Like the story is a beautiful story. It's words tell an amazing story. It will capture your heart and your mind. But in everything, there's the words of the story and there's the spaces between the words. Most people think the space has no function because we don't know how to listen to the space of our own being. So we bypass over the spaces of the story, thinking it's just there to separate out the words and make the words understandable. But what if the space told another story? And some of the things that the space uh, between the words of the mosaic talk about, to me, are the most interesting. And I would invite you when you read the book or listen to it on audio, listen to the words. Of course, listen to the words. It'll tell you a beautiful story. But what would the space between the words tell you? For me, the first thing we have to do is we have to be kind to ourselves and get a relationship with ourselves. Because when we're constantly hitting ourselves or think that we have to be extraordinary human beings, we put a bar so high for ourselves that we can never sustain that. And everybody's walking around saying, what's your superpower? I say my superpower is I'm completely ordinary. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, ordinary's gotten a bad rap. But the most beautiful things in the world are ordinary. 
The mountain is ordinary. It doesn't try to become a river. Day turning into night is ordinary, but it's an exquisite transition. Buds appearing on a plant in, in springtime, completely ordinary, but magnificent. Trees in the East Coast changing colors with the leaves when it's time when fall turns into winter. Gorgeous, but completely ordinary. We know the exact time and day it's going to happen. But human beings think ordinary isn't good. We have to be extraordinary. So I say to them, if ordinary is something you don't want to be, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want to be? Mm. And they say, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I say, well, yeah, but look at the way the words are used. Extraordinary things happen when extra ordinaries come together. We create extraordinary things. And we become ordinary when we allow a person to be themselves. Because that self is like a sunrise. It's like, it's like uh, a mountain. The mountain doesn't try to become a river. You know, I think Einstein said, if you take, if you take an elephant and try and tell him that he has to be smart, he has to learn how to climb a tree, he'll spend his whole life being, feeling he's stupid. Mm-hmm. Why do we try and always be something we're not? We spend our whole life feeling less than we are and not good enough. Why not just practice the presence of you? So that that leads to a really interesting question then. So where where does that really truly start? Is it about, because I love your analogy of the canister around yourself, because I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think so many of us are walking around in this world with, layers of bricks upon bricks around us, you know, just trying to survive and make these superficial connections, you know. So does it really start with dropping all those walls yourself? So to me, the way it happens is it's a four-step process. The first step is you have to connect to yourself, which means you have to somehow be kind enough to yourself that you allow yourself to be yourself without trying to put all these other people on top of you. Mm-hmm. You know, so often in business they say, and it's true, if you follow these mentors and you do what they did, you'll be successful. Well, you will be successful. You'll make money, but you may not be fulfilled because you can never really be 100% fulfilled doing living somebody else's life. Absolutely. So I would say, first of all, get to know yourself. Spend time getting to know yourself. Sit in the quiet of who you are. And understand what drives you, what motivates you, what makes you something more. And be kind to yourself in the process of that, because you're going to fall down many times. But just every time you fall down, just get up again. Nobody in this world is perfect. And so don't believe you have to be perfect. Why would you be the one person that has to be perfect in a world where nobody's perfect? The second step to it is once you get connected to yourself, and you drop the silos down from around your body, you start to realize there's a big world out here. And you wonder, wow, I wonder what's going on in this world. Like, how did all this happen? Who's in charge of all this? And you connect to something bigger than yourself. So spiritual or religious people will call it God. Other people will call it whatever they want to call it. It doesn't matter what you call it. You first have to make a connection to yourself. And then you have to realize you're living in a world that is greater than you are. 
And that greater than you are allows you to, un- to understand the principle of vulnerability. We're not, we just don't have control. We can't just always do it the way we want. We have to be vulnerable and open to fit into the ways of the world and the way the world works. It doesn't mean we lose ourselves and, and become uh, a robot, but it means we take the piece of our piece and play, in the, uh, and play with the other pieces of the world. And we create an artist, start to create an artistry together. So once we do that, we look at, we look, we understand that we're connected to ourselves and there's something bigger than ourselves that we try and connect to. Mm -hmm. Then we have to ask ourselves, wow, in this whole world of all these things that are here, why was I brought here? What, what am I here to do? And the third connection we have to make is connect to our purpose. We have to know from the beginning of time till this moment, no one has ever been created to do what you're going to do right now. Because if they had done it, you wouldn't have needed to be created. And from this moment on, no one will ever be created to do again what you've done and accomplished in this life. Because you've done it. So if this moment in time holds that much importance, don't you think it would be important to sit with yourself a little bit and understand what your purpose is and why you're here and what that special ingredient is. What's that special little way of doing it? What's the secret sauce that you bring to the situation that nobody else could bring? And then when you get people that are kind, that are vulnerable, that understand their purpose, even if their purposes are at cross purpose with each other, when you bring those people together because they, those, those cross-purposes now bring innovation into a, comp- into a company. Because if we always do things the way we see it, we'll never do something new in a new way that we don't see. When you bring those people together, that's who Margaret Mead was talking about when she said, throughout all of civilization, a small group of people have changed the course of society. And a small group of people will continue to change the course of society. It doesn't take a lot of people. That's very true. It takes a it takes a few people who are kind, vulnerable, uh, uh, connected, purposeful, and connected. So walk me through those four steps again, because as I as you were walking through those, I saw my own journey of kind of the one I have taken. So number one was really connecting to yourself. Be easy on yourself. Accept yourself for who you are. You know, and that that's obviously the hardest part, I think, for most people, because most people I, I've, I've really believe, Daniel, don't really truly know who in the world they even are. And they're always yeah. they're always fighting themselves, you know. And then number yeah. two was drop the silos. You said, see the big world, connect to a bigger purpose. Um, to me, that's that's been one of the most recent ones for me, you know, of just seeing or why you were really put on this on this planet and in this universe so in the, the first place. Step. The, the third step of why we're put on here is the third step. Yep. The first step is to connect to yourself. So in connecting to yourself, you have to drop the silos because you can't connect to yourself if the silos are up. up. The second step is connecting to something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And once, you're, once you realize that you're in this bigger world and you connect to something else that is driving this world, that is running this world, that is benevolently, uh, that is either what you believe to be a benevolent force of this world that wants to help you have what you have, or an, a, uh, uh, an evil force or a bad force in this world that's trying to keep you from it. 
you have to come to peace with what you believe this world is doing. And if you believe it's a world that is trying to keep you from being yourself, you will have some problems. Mm-hmm. You have to get to that place where you're vulnerable enough to accept that the creator of this whole experience, of this experience, is cheering you on. They're your cheerleaders. They want you to succeed. This world wants us to succeed at what, we've, at what we've been given, the work that we've been come here to do. And so it's a benevolent, kind world. And when we become vulnerable, step two, the practice of step two of realizing something bigger to your, than yourself is, is realizing we're vulnerable. The, and, we, and we give up some of the control we feel that we have to exert in this world. In order, My place is to control you. I tell you what to do. I do what I do. I do what I want to do. Don't you tell me what to do. So many people live that sort of life. Mm-hmm. But when we realize that together we're, we're better than we are alone, we start to open up and say, well, gosh, together with the one who created this universe, we would be even better. Like sometimes people come to me and say, Danny, I just don't know what to do. I can't do this. And I said, great, that's the greatest place you could ever be in. So if you realize you can't do it, what, what power running through you can do it? If you would allow yourself to connect to something bigger than you, it's just possible. That, that force, that power, that, that instinct in you may be able to do something you can't do. Allow that to do it. Mm-hmm. So that leads then to connecting to your individual purpose, right? Yeah, because once you realize that there's something here and, there's, and you're part of it, you start to wonder, what is my part of it? Mm-hmm. What, what part am I supposed to play in this great, in this great drama of this world that we're living in, in this, in this beautiful mosaic? What is the nature of my peace, both P-I-E-C-E and P-E-A-C-E? What is the nature of the peace that I contribute to this mosaic? Who am I? What am I here for? What am I doing? And when you have no walls around you and you're open to the vulnerability, that purpose fills you. And you're able to receive it without any obstacles because you're, you're unblocked. You're vulnerable. And you allow it to enter into you. So many people tell me, how do I find what I'm supposed to do? You don't have to. It'll find you. Just open yourself up. Just drop your walls and realize something greater is coming to help you. We're all fighting against something that we have done that wants to help us. Why? Oh, I see that all the time with people, you know, whether it's business leaders I'm working with, whether it's individuals, whatever, of, you know, people wondering what, what is, what is my purpose? What am I meant to do? You know, they just can't find fulfillment and I, I truly believe it is because people are just not connecting to themselves first or with themselves first. You know, before you ever find your purpose, like you said, you have to, you got to find yourself. Yeah. And then once you find yourself, you have to allow something bigger than yourself to into your life as well. Mm-hmm. And it's that blend because if your walls are up and you're not vulnerable and you believe that you are the one that has to do everything, what a tireless job that's going to be. I mean, what a, what a, how, much, how much pain and suffering are you going to take trying to change the world on your own? It's not, you're not supposed to change the world. You're supposed, all we have to do is embrace and hold the world. If you look at the pieces of a mosaic, they tell you exactly what they do. They don't change or fix or, or convert somebody. They just hold each other. Yeah, and, and as... Holding each other. They, whoop, whoop, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, as you know, as you think of the concept of a mosaic, of something that was maybe something where you look at it, it's broken, it's been destroyed, it's been smashed into pieces, but when you put it back together, it's something beautiful. Yeah. And so why do things get broken and smashed? And I believe if you follow the example of my daughter, speak, yell, tantrum, attack, it's because we haven't listened. If we listened, our mosaics could be beautiful whole pieces coming together to create beautiful whole piece. We don't have to be smashed. We don't have to be broken. We don't have to be shattered. Mm-hmm. It's only because we haven't listened that, that the, the increasing of intensity of trying to be heard happens to us. So, and yeah. so just to finish with the fourth step yep. then is once, once you are, once you practice a kindness and you know yourself, without any walls, once you start to see that there's something bigger than yourself and you get to, you get to be in alignment with that bigger self and, and you, practice, you practice the art of being vulnerable, once you then um, understand the purpose of why you're here, then you start to connect the pieces of your mosaic and you build your mosaic. And that's when you become a wholly integrated human being who by your sheer presence connects other whole people to their wholly integrated human being. And when those wholly integrated human beings come together with each other, when simple ordinary pieces come together, extraordinaries create extraordinary artwork. It's all the ordinary pieces of the mosaic that come together that create the most beautiful artistry you could ever imagine. And that's when change happens. That's when connection happens. That's when the world, the world through just the embrace of our love transforms itself. And that's in a business, that's in a family, that's in healthcare, that's in education, that's in prison reform, that's in government, that's in, in, in romantic relationship. What, wherever you want to put the world, put the focus of that four steps of connection on, you will find transformation if you practice the practices. I love it. You know, I, I, as you describe all this, I think of the people that I've connected most deeply to in my life ever, you know, and as you take yourself step by step through this, they are people that know themselves. They are people that are very openly trusting, they're transparent, they're humble, they're analytical, you know. They maybe don't completely know their purpose because I think that's an infinite game to an extent. It's always being worked on, but they have a pretty darn good idea of it, you know. And they are, they see the whole picture of everything, you know. They, they like exactly like you said, they see the world for, they see the world for how big it truly is, you know, and realize that we're just a speck of dust in it when it really comes down to it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so so you said wow a lot. I want to know what goes (laughs) through your mind when you say wow. When, when I, when I keep saying wow, it means, it honestly means Daniel, like it's so deep. 
I don't even know how to respond with words, yet there's so much going through my mind. Yeah, my radio guy was smiling there at me when I said that again. <laughs> Spencer's laughing back there. But no, I, I keep thinking just like, oh my gosh, like this is just, it's unbelievably simple how you put it, yet so hard for people to achieve. And it really makes me want to dive into now how in the world do you come to a conclusion like this? I mean, obviously you've lived, you've had a, a tremendous journey through your life. And I'm really curious as to what were the things that brought you to this point? Um, so if you think about it, when I think about it, my life experiences have created when my parents passed away when I was a kid. They passed away two years apart on the same day. So nothing about the world that I saw was the same as anybody else of my friends. And though my friends and their parents commiserated with me and tried to help me and tried to, and, and brought me into their families, there was a place that they could never understand because their parents were still alive. And so I saw the world differently just from the very moments, from those very moments. But somewhere along the line, I realized that because I got a little arrogant because I saw a different world and people were always saying, well, how do you see that? And I felt a little isolated sometimes and not connected. And then I realized, hold it. If I see the world differently than my friends do and the people that I'm talking to do, then they see the world differently than I do too. And neither one of the ways we see the world is more valuable or less valuable. What's most valuable is when we have the opportunity for, to sit together and say, will you show me the way you see the world? I'm so curious. How do you look at the same thing that I see and see something different? Share, share with me that. Take time with me. And in the process of listening to their stories and, and listening to the way they see what I see, suddenly the possibility exists that I might see something I never saw before. And I live in a world where I believe everything in this world is possible. If you think back a hundred years, people would think we're crazy to be thinking what we're thinking now. I don't know when this podcast will come out, but there's a new app in town called Clubhouse, and I was on it last night, and Elon Musk was addressing this, these rooms of people. And one of the things Elon Musk is talking about right now is a neural is a, something called a neurolink, mm-hmm. and a, and a neurolink just very. I'm not smart enough to know what that all that stuff is, but I know in general, they make a two inch incision into the skull, and they insert a chip into the brain, and the chip has some sort of threads to it, and what those threads are able to do is they're able to make connections to places in the brain where the brain has been injured and is not able to connect on its own. Well, I have a developmentally delayed daughter. Can you imagine if they could make do a surgery and insert a chip into her head that would allow the functionality of her speech to happen, that would allow her body to, to heal certain things that were unhealable mm-hmm. without that? I mean, we can't even conceive the possibilities that the world will come up with 
And it's really like we are upgrading our system, and there are going to be dangers in it. Look, when the computer came out, there were a lot of people that said, well, beware of it because it's going to do this. It's going to do that. When the car came out, there were a lot of people that said, beware of it because people are going to get hurt and people are going to get die. When the horse and buggy came out, people were saying, well, that's going to be, you know, we can't do that. In every moment of change, there have been people that stand for it and stand against it. And I'm not saying that we're, that it's going to be all good. There's going to be amazing things that we have to be careful of. But we have no idea what the possibilities are that exist if we embrace this world rather than fight it, it's going to happen whether we go for it or not. Mm-hmm. And so when, why wouldn't we listen to the world around us rather than fight it? Because in every breath the world is taking, it's communicating to us options and possibilities that we don't even know are possible. Paraplegics will be healed by something like a neural link. If it's not that, it'll be something else. People that are dying of cancer will no longer die of cancer because cures will be found. People who are incapable of speech will be starting to speak. People who can't see will start to see. And it's it's not a messianic revelation of a new Christ coming in. It's the matter of the technology and human intelligence. A, artificial intelligence and human intelligence will merge together to create realities that may that we may not like in the future. We may our species may turn into something completely different. Yeah, it's wild. To and think I don't about. mean to talk. Yeah, I don't mean to talk so weird, but I just believe that everything is possible. And when the only reason it's impossible right now is we don't see a way to make it possible. So coming back now to this conversation, when we speak to other people and listen to other people who disagree with us or think differently from us, at the very least, we see another option. We see something, another way of seeing what we never saw before, Mm -hmm. which may just give us that peace to make what is currently impossible possible. There might be other things we have to fix in it. The Neuralink may not be the answer but it's going to answer some questions. Yeah, I think so many Does of that us make are sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I've yeah, I've I've read a lot about uh about his neurolink and um as a treatment for like you said brain trauma patients and such and and it's it's wild to think of an AI device I mean planted planted in one's brain. I mean, they've they've talked about basically the capabilities of your cell phone in your brain without having to of literally just thinking about things, you know, whether it's advanced math, algorithms, I mean, to call somebody, to say something to somebody literally just by thinking it. It's wild. Yeah. So, And, and, and it, imagine if that happens. Education as we know it becomes obsolete because we will be able to learn through, a, through, a, through an interaction between our brain and, our, and, and AI that will allow us to create realities that we, it would take us years and years and years to learn about in school. Mm -hmm. We'll have the option to speak foreign languages in moments rather than in years. I mean, it's just amazing what's possible. So I don't want to get caught in the Elon Musk neuro link, (laughs) but, but, but what I want to, but what I want to say is that, the, this process of listening, this gift of listening, 
such an exquisite present that we've been given. And I just want to share one one more thing, and if I can, and then I'll try and quiet up. When I was given this, this, this sort of assignment to start a revolution of listening, I looked at my teachers and mentors and my inner guide sort of voice, and I said to myself and them, boy, you must be low down on the totem pole to find someone to listen. I mean, is it really that bad? Because look how much even in this conversation I'm speaking. And they said, well, two things. One, we do want you to listen a little bit more. But they told me something else which was really important, and they said this is far more important than what, we're, than what you think. You think listening happens with the ears. It doesn't. It happens with your heart and your soul. Mm -hmm. So what happens when, Danny, when you speak, you have an engaging way of speaking. People's minds get occupied in the stories you're telling. They get occupied so much that they follow the story. Well, guess what? Fear lives in the mind, Danny. It doesn't live anywhere else. And so when you occupy the mind and the mind's engaged in the stories you're telling, fear takes a little nap. And suddenly you're able to connect to the heart of another person. You're able to connect to the soul of another person. And you're able to listen to what the heart and soul of a person are saying to you, unobstructed by the fear of a person saying, what are you doing? What's going on? And it's not like, it's not like voodoo or magic or anything. It's the way it was always intended to be, that we love each other from our hearts. We, we feel each other soul to soul. And as you're listening to that, and I'm sure everybody listening here has, has had this experience in one way or another. Have you ever heard a person speak and you hear their words and you know it's what they believe? They're not lying to you with their mouth. But you just feel instinctively it isn't what they really believe. It isn't the best thing for them to do. Oh, absolutely. Well, how does that happen? Right. So how does that happen? It happens because somehow you're tuning into their heart and their soul. And you're hearing that message. And when those messages are not aligned, chaos happens. But when you align heart, soul, mind together, body, all together, and you listen to the harmony of the symphony of those sounds, you create a music or a mosaic that is just absolutely exquisite. Yeah, it's, ama it's amazing when you sit down with people, Daniel, and when you f either feel a connection or you don't feel a connection. You know, whether it's just a yeah. general conversation, whether it's, I mean, even just being on the podcast, even having you on the podcast here, you know, you're such an unbelievable, unbelievably tremendous storyteller in how you speak. It just absolutely pulls a person in and it connects. I mean, I feel... I, I, I feel like I'm sitting in the room with you as I'm, as I'm listening to you here. I'm not even going to lie, you know. So I know I know you mentioned your daughter. I want to get into this part. I know you mentioned your daughter was a, a huge influence on the learning to listen piece. And I know another one you had mentioned previously to me was, a dis, must have been a discussion with a homeless person. I believe it was yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, that had a profound yeah. impact on all of this. Profound. So tell us the story behind that. So I was walking down the street in San Diego, and suddenly my eye was drawn to a man who was sitting 
there must be a name for it, but I can't figure it out, where the pavement meets the building, that intersection where the, the pavement and the building meet. Mm-hmm. His, his bottom was on the pavement, his back was against the building. And in front of him, he had a hat and a little sign. And something about him, I felt compelled to go up to him and, and speak to him. And so I came up to him and I put a dollar in his hat. And I just stayed there. And he, and he looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just would like to get to know you a little bit. I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to hear your story. He said, no, 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 this isn't the time to hear stories. This is like, I have a job to do. I'm here. I, it, I, it might not appear much to you, but this is my job. I need to make money. I know if you're here and I'm talking to you, I'm not going to make money because people aren't going to stop. They're going to think I'm just talking to you and I need to make money. Yep. So I said, I, I said, I completely understand. How much money will you make in the next half an hour? He said, I make $5 a half an hour and $10 an hour. And I work about 17 hours a day. And I use that money to take care of other homeless people along the way here because they don't, they're not as good at doing it as I am. Hmm. So I said, hold on a minute. And I looked in my wallet and I saw I had a $50 bill. And I handed it to him. I said, I don't want to put this in the hat. I want to give it to you so you put it in your pocket. And he said, why are you giving me $50? I said, because I don't want you to worry about the amount of time I spend with you. Yep. I just want to have about a half hour with you where you're not worried about it. And he said, okay, you're really weird. Go, you can sit down. <laughs> and so I sat down with him. And it took a few minutes for him to unwind because no, not many people treated him with honor and dignity. And I said to him, finally, I said, Corey, you see thousands of people pass you on the street every day. If you were to gather them in a big auditorium in a stadium, and you you would be able to say one thing to them, you would be able to ask them to do one thing, what would you ask them to do? And without missing a moment, he just said, I would ask them to do what you're doing right now. I would ask them to sit with someone they don't know and ask them how they're doing. Wow. And I said, boy, that's beautiful. I love that. But of all the things that you could ask, why that? And he said, Danny, you've told me a lot of stories in these few minutes we've been together. Can I tell you one? I said, I'm buckled in. Go for it, brother. He said, I hate being homeless. I'm ashamed of myself, and I'm embarrassed to be a homeless person. But my shame isn't what I have to deal with. The people that pass me on the streets, they don't treat me like a human being. They don't even treat me like an animal. They treat me as if I have no feelings or thoughts. They treat me as as if I'm a thing. They walk by and they'll kick me or they'll punch me or they'll spit on me or they'll yell at me. They'll come by and they'll steal the money, the little bit of money that I have in my hat. They'll come out and try and steal it. The other day, a few months, a few weeks ago, a group of boys was walking towards me, and I was just sort of happy to see them. And I, I, I thought, hi, boys, how are you doing? And they came up to me, and they kicked me and beat me. And I think they thought they left me dead on the ground because that's how I felt. And I closed my eyes to say, maybe this is it. And I was awoken about 10 minutes later when a man was urinating on me. And I thought, Okay, enough is enough. This evening, he said, Danny, you don't know it, but the street right behind us is a dark, lonely street. Nobody goes on that street. Everybody uses this street. That's why I sit here, not there. And I decided that evening I was going to go to the street behind this street. And in the dark of the night, I was going to take my life. Hmm. 
no one would care. No one would mean it. It wouldn't mean anything to anybody. And I would, I would have the relief of not having to be in this life anymore. Well, Danny, two minutes after I said that to myself, just quietly, I didn't speak it. I didn't say any words. A man in a three-piece suit came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, how are you doing, brother? And I said to him, you don't want to know, sir. Just keep walking. This isn't a time. I'm not doing good. You don't want to know. Just keep walking. Just leave me be. Just keep walking. Best thing in the world is if you just keep walking. Just keep walking. Don't stay here with me. And the man in the three-piece suit sat down next to me. And he said, I do want to know, my friend. He said, Danny, I don't know if it was because he was wearing a three-piece suit and he, and, I, and I thought he was an important man or what it was. But when he sat down next to me, I leaned my head into his shoulder and I just started crying with all that had gone on, with all that I was feeling, with all the pain that I had in my life. I poured out big crocodile tears on his shoulder. And he told me, it's okay, my friend, just keep crying. And I cried and cried and then my tears stopped, and I just started to tell him of the pain that I was experiencing. Danny, you know, the whole thing took only about 10 minutes. He didn't try and fix me. He didn't try and change me. He didn't try and help me. He didn't try and do anything for me. He just sat there and he listened to me. I wish I would have seen him after that day. Because what I realized in that moment is I couldn't take my life anymore. An important man in a three-piece suit felt I was important enough to take 10 minutes out of the course of his life and listen to me and sit with me and let me cry on his shoulder. He said, I wish I could have seen him again. I wish I could have thanked him. I wish I could have told him he saved my life that day. Well, that story impacted me so much. You know, there's something called the butterfly effect where a butterfly flaps his wings in one place and a wind current blows in another area that lights up a city. Well, his story, that story Corey told me impacted me so much that I started to tell it in every boardroom that I went into, in every talk that I gave, in every um, coaching session that I do, in everything that I did, podcasts that I was on, I tried to include this story. I wish I could have told Corey how, that now millions and millions of people have heard his story. And that I've asked them to do what he would have asked them to do if he could have stopped them all in that big auditorium and asked them to do it. And I'll ask it of your audience here as I've asked it of thousands of other audiences now. Would you be willing to take 10 minutes out of the course of your lifetime to go up to someone you don't know and just care about them enough to ask them how they're doing? And just really listen to them. They'll tell you good, fine, great, but just ask them again. Say you really want to know. Would you be willing to take 10 minutes out of the course of your life and do that? I hope one day, Corey, wherever he is now, will be approached by one of the people that have heard his story from the numerous people that are telling his story now. And someone will walk up to him and say, how are you doing, brother? And they'll tell him about a, bo a man on a street corner that nobody thought was important, that is creating a revolution of listening. 
by having people go up to people they don't know and ask them how they are. Who knows? It might just be contagious enough that you do it with your spouse and your kids. It might be contagious enough that you start to ask the employees that work in your company how they're doing. It might be that you talk to the person that cleans your toilets or mops your floors or arranges your, the things that you need and goes shopping to get them. Who knows what you might ask them if you start to develop a relationship where you could say to them, what do you think about these products we're creating? What would you do? How would you do? What would you do differently? There is so much knowledge in the world if we would only listen to it and let us tell it, tell us what it would like us to do. Extremely powerful there. And definitely extremely powerful challenge for everybody listening to this to just listen. You know, because I think all of us get caught up in that of whether it's a stranger, whether it's somebody you know, whoever it may be. You know, you ask, oh, hey, how are things going? And what do you get from people? You get a superficial response. Oh, great. Oh, fine. Yeah. You know, but ask one more time and ask very meaningfully. No, really. How are things going? And when you make that connection, you make eye contact with people. That's when you really get the answer. And that's when you really get that true, deep emotional connection with people. Absolutely. So if I can add one more thing, because I know we're coming to a close, just one short little thing. If you would have the care and the concern to go up to someone you don't know and ask them how they're doing, promise me that you will take the same care and concern and actually ask yourself, how am I doing? And sit and listen the response of your body, of your mind, of your heart, and of your soul. Great advice. Great advice for every single one of us. So, oof, Daniel, you sucked me in, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can spit me out now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, um, man, I don't even know where to begin. Enlightening is what I think. I think of uh, extremely humbled to have had you on here today, you know, of just, and the importance of how powerful listening and connection is. True connection, true connection, because I think there's a big difference, obviously, as you've shown us. So, hey, where, Daniel, where can our listeners find you, follow you, um, buy your book, The Mosaic? So, thank you so much for asking. The book is available from Amazon. My website is danielbrucelevin.com, and I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am here for anyone who feels that they are not listened to, anyone who feels they are not heard. I have a link that I can give you that will give you access to have a free 30-minute call with me. I'm not trying to sell you anything or do anything. I just want people to know there's a pocket in this world where people can feel listened to. And if you feel that you want to work together with me, that's another conversation that we can have. But even more important than following me, what I invite you to do is get to know yourself and follow yourself. Do I have time for one last story or we're on the out? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. 
when I um, when my parents passed away and I lived with my aunt and uncle, I had an opportunity to run a multi-billion-dollar company. And the the my friends in that period of time were the sons and daughters of some of the richest people in the world. And I remember one friend in particular who was my best friend. And we would sit around and the fountain in the place where we lived and we would just talk about what our dreams were and how we were going to change the world together. We had the intelligence, we had the money, we had, we would have the money, we would have the wherewithal. And when I walked away from the opportunity to do that business, he was so mad at me, my best friend. He said, I'm never going to talk to you again. You're just an idiot. You're going to give up this opportunity. You're going to give up our dream. You're going to give up everything we've talked about to just hitchhike around the world and find yourself. I mean, come on, man. How stupid is that? And we never talked to each other again. I honored I It hurt me, but I honored if he doesn't want to talk to me. I had no right pushing, put, imposing myself on him. Well, it wasn't until about 30 or 40, 35 years later I was in New York at a hotel called the Mandarin Oriental. I, I knew the people that were running the spa there and, and, and took over the spa. And they were friends of mine, and they gave me a friends and family rate in the Mandarin Oriental. So the rate that I was paying and when I stayed in New York was cheaper than a, than a room in a dive hotel somewhere else. And I had the luxury of this exquisite hotel. Well, the hotel was such that there was an elevator from the ground floor up to the 34th floor where the lobby was located and the lobby looked out over central park. It was just beautiful. And you would sit and have drinks in the, in the lobby lounge and you would see central park and it was just exquisite. And then, but when you, you took the elevator from the ground floor to the 34th floor, and then there was another elevator or a set of elevators that took you up to your room. Well, it was about 10:30 at night. I was coming home from my day and dinner that I had had with somebody, and I was taking that, that elevator from the floor, ground level, to the lobby. And as the doors at, at the lobby opened, I started to walk out. And in walks my best friend from when I was 15. He walks into the elevator. He doesn't notice me. He doesn't say anything. And I look at him, and I call him by name. And he said, who called my name? And I said, I did. He said, how do you know my name? And I said, have you forgotten? We used to be best friends when we were 15 years old. He went, oh, my God, Danny, how did you recognize me? Is that you? He said, come with me. We're going to the club. Come with me. We'll go to the club together. I have these three girls with me. We'll have a time of our life. I said, I don't think so. It's not my style. But you go. Maybe we can have breakfast together tomorrow morning, whatever time you wake up. And he looked at the girls and he looked at me and he said, and he gave them a bunch of money. And he said, you guys go to the club on your own. I want to stay here with my friend. And I want to just catch up with him on 40 years, 35 years. He said to me, do you drink scotch? I have a beautiful bottle of scotch in my room. And I have two cigars. I said, yeah, I'll drink with you. I'll drink with you here. We spent from about 11 o'clock at night until about five o'clock in the morning sitting in the lobby of the Mandarin Oriental, drinking scotch and smoking cigars. As we were about to leave, he said to me, you know, I hated you, Danny. You like destroyed my dream. 
I said, I don't think I can do that. I'm not that powerful, but I know you hated me, and it really hurt me that you excommunicated me. He said, I thought you were an idiot to do what you're doing. You did. But as I sit here and I talk to you now, I think maybe I was the idiot. I have more money than God. I'm on my fourth marriage. And the three women you saw me with in the elevator are women I cheat with every time I come to New York. And I have a different set of three women in every city that I go to. My children don't talk to me. My wives don't want anything to do with me. And I can't say that I've known a minute of peace in my life. And I look at you and you walked away from all of it. And you have everything that I want. You have that peace that I want. And I have nothing that you want. How is that possible? And I said to him, that's not hard. I mean, you're my friend. I'll sit with you. Let's, let's get together. And I'll, I'll help you to have it. That's, this is the easiest thing in the world to have. He said, Danny, I'll call you as soon as we get back home. Patrick, that was about 15 years ago that we had that conversation. And in those 15 years, he's never called me. Hmm. My dad always used to say, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. It's so important for people to take a look at what their destination really is. Whether that's in your company, in your life, in your relationship, in the way you're raising your kids. What is your destination? Is it the destination that you really want? And is the route you're taking going to get you there? And if it's not going to get you there, you have to have the courage to change your route right now. If I can be of service to you in any way in helping you to realign your path to the path that you want to be on rather than the one you're stuck on, I welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with you and listen to you and hear what it is you want. And I'm always here for you. Daniel, can't thank you enough and I'm so appreciative for you being on here today. It's my honor, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Daniel, thanks again. And with that, everybody, uh, absolutely check out his book. He said you can find it on Amazon. Also, you can hit up the mosaiconline.com. Check out his website also, danielbrucelevin.com. Be sure to check it out. And um, also follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook at Patrick Metzger Coaching. Um, anybody that listened to this episode... I really want you to take it to heart and really think about all the things that he mentioned because it was absolutely pure gold, uh, to say the least. So, But be, be sure to subscribe to Rate the Podcast. Uh, show notes, uh, as Daniel mentioned, will have all his links in there. Check those out at patrick-metzger.com on my website. Um, and as always, take a screenshot of today's show. Tag myself, tag Daniel, share it with somebody that really needs to uh, maybe get off a path that they truly know they shouldn't be on or is maybe looking for that path that uh, ultimately they've desired. So until next time, I want to remind you to own you and the journey.